Welcome to Failed Utopia, the podcast about utopian ideas and paradise lost. We look at utopian concepts of the past, present, and future, as well as utopian societies and communes, which promise the world to eager followers, but inevitably fail when it all starts to unravel. Hey, Failed Utopians, it's Anna, your just-human podcast host. Here we are, white-knuckling it in January 2021, doing it together. Sure, America is falling apart at the seams, but here on Failed Utopia, we're blowing off steam by talking about a suicidal UFO cult. For fun. Creepy fun. You know, that creepy kind of fun that everyone has. (laughs) Okay, let's go. Some episodes of this podcast contain disturbing or upsetting topics. Use your discretion for yourself and those around you. This won't be appropriate for kids. If you feel you need support, please find help through a crisis line, mental health professional, or a friend or family member. I have resources including crisis hotline phone numbers, listed in the show notes. On March 26, 1997, a 911 call from a payphone brought emergency responders to the site of a mass suicide in a rented mansion in Rancho Santa Fe, a San Diego, California suburb. Of arriving at the scene in the middle of the night, one of the investigators said of entering the house and the stench emanating from within, it's like descending into hell. Imagine walking through that house, illuminated just by flashlight, going room to room, then finding a body, then finding more bodies, 39 in total, no signs of trauma, The victims were all wearing baggy black homemade uniforms, androgynous and shapeless, with black decade edition Nike sneakers. They all had little suitcases like go bags and things like IDs and a couple of $5 bills and some quarters, though it's hard to imagine what use those could have had. On their uniforms were Heaven's Gate Away Team patches, an apparent reference to Star Trek, the, of course, fictional mythology, in which teams sent from a starship to investigate a new world were referred to as away teams. The idea for Heaven's Gate was that they were an away team while residing on Earth, and that now they were returning back home. Investigators worked the scene as a possible homicide, looking for injection sites or any sign that anybody could have been murdered, and thorough autopsies were conducted. 39 people were dead. Investigators told themselves that if even one single person was coerced, they had a murder on their hands. Let's take a step back from that gruesome scene and go back to the beginning. Heaven's Gate, the infamous cult. How did their beliefs lead to the largest mass suicide in American history? Marshall Applewhite is widely attributed as the leader of the group because he was there in the end and died in the mass suicide. He also appeared in videos for the group, becoming its face. Marshall Applewhite and a woman named Bonnie Nettles started Heaven's Gate in the 1970s, and Nettles was actually Applewhite's superior in their group hierarchy. Supposedly, they met at a hospital, possibly a psychiatric one, where Bonnie was working as a nurse and Marshall was either a patient or visiting a friend, depending on which of the various conflicting accounts you believe. 
Applewhite was a Texan preacher's son, so he was into evangelical religion. He joined, then dropped out of seminary school, served in the U.S. Army, married, had two kids, and taught music. In 1970, he was fired from his job as a music professor after an affair with a male student came to light. Eventually, he was divorced and estranged from his children. Bonnie Nettles was a middle-aged married nurse and mom of four, with an interest in science fiction, theosophy, and biblical prophecies. She would also become divorced and estranged from her children. Nurse Bonnie convinced Marshall that he was some sort of special, spiritual being who had been sent to meet her, and that she'd been given this information by extraterrestrials. The two hit it off and concluded that they had met in a previous life. They started traveling the country and formulating their new philosophy, and eventually had some sort of epiphany or revelation coming to believe that it was their destiny to gather up a group of followers. They started calling themselves Bo and Peep, which is shudder-inducing, later changing it to Tea and Doe, also pretty creepy. Sometimes they referred to themselves simply as the Two or the UFO Two. The basic idea behind Heaven's Gate is that Bonnie Nettles and Marshall Applewhite were extraterrestrial beings from another level, what they called the level above human. They were inhabiting human bodies, but in order to catch a spaceship ride back to the level above human, they needed to shed their human attributes, like their relationships, attitudes, and emotions, their followers would need to do the same, change their names, and shed everything about them that made them individual humans. Even the traditional concept of family was considered to be bad. They started dressing the same and everyone cut their hair short, with the object being to create an androgynous, unremarkable appearance. They were also celibate, and some of the men in the group, it was discovered during their later autopsies, were castrated, including Marshall Applewhite. Apparently, this was all about overcoming human impulses and emotions. Everything about humans was basically disgusting and primitive, especially mammalian sexual reproduction. Their human bodies were something to be overcome in order to gain access to the next level. Their androgynous appearances may explain why the initial dispatches to police gave confused and conflicting accounts of the genders of the deceased. Even early media reports identified the victims as all male. The group made a bunch of wacky training and recruitment videos over the years. One video training series called Beyond Human goes on mostly rambling and incoherent for 13 straight hours. It appears to have been filmed in one straight marathon. Almost the entire time, it's just a close-up of Applewhite speaking in a monologue format, staring straight into the camera, and it's very repetitive. Here's a great quote from somewhere in the middle of that 13 hours, speaking about overcoming independence and rebelliousness. I can't make you, make you, make you do it. You have to make me, make me, make me, re-help you, re-help you, re-help you. The initiation has to come on the part of the seeker. Here's the name of another video, as stated by Doe. Planet Earth about to be recycled. Your only chance to evacuate is to leave with us. All of Heaven's Gate's videos are available on VHS through the Heaven's Gate website or on Vimeo for a strange reason that I will talk about later, and I'll put a link in the show notes to Vimeo in case you want to take a peek. To get the full wild-eyed effect, 
Scroll down to the bottom and watch one of the later videos, either Planet Earth About to Be Recycled or Last Chance to Evacuate Planet Earth Before It Is Recycled. You have to see this guy to get just how unbelievably weird and creepy it is. You don't have to know that this was a deadly cult in hindsight to be put off by the bizarre nature of these videos. The man seems really, really, really off. And it's not just what he's saying, it's how he's saying it and his overall appearance and demeanor. I'm not saying you can tell who's crazy just by looking at them, but this guy definitely sent out major, major insane vibe. He looks like a serial killer. It really makes you wonder how on earth anyone could have been sucked in by it. And that's what Heaven's Gate members' families were left to grapple with. It sounds ridiculous and kind of silly until you finally realize too late that it's deadly serious. Heaven's Gate wasn't just a UFO cult. It was also religious in nature. It was basically a mashup of the Bible and popular science fiction from the 70s, like the books Chariots of the Gods and the late great planet Earth, and even the TV show Star Trek. This stuff wasn't that strange in the 70s, which saw the emergence of a lot of this type of thinking entering the mainstream. The idea that extraterrestrials had visited Earth in the ancient past presented themselves as gods and gave humanity all the information that would become modern religion wouldn't have been too out there to many of the post-hippie spiritual seekers of the 70s who were looking for something more. If you're a fan of The X-Files, the 1990s sci-fi horror show, or the History Channel's Ancient Aliens show, that plot about the aliens will also sound familiar. At least as a concept, it's an idea that has circulated a lot over the years. In the Heaven's Gate lore, biblical scriptures and figures became extraterrestrial beings and physical places in the universe. God's kingdom became the level above human, the group leaders, Bonnie Nettles and Marshall Applewhite, became T and Doe, the same extraterrestrial beings that had previously inhabited other bodies or vehicles and been known as the Father and Jesus in the Christian Bible. Satan, fallen angels, evil, they became the lower forces. The apocalypse or rapture became something akin to the earth getting recycled. Every 2000 years, Heaven's Gate opens and we can get through. Heaven is basically outer space in this context, what they referred to as the next level or the level above human. They did believe in reincarnation, so theoretically, anyone who missed the boat or spaceship in 1997, would eventually have another chance in another lifetime a couple thousand years in the future. Keep in mind, suicide was never part of the package when they were just getting started in the 70s. At that time, all you had to do was live in the prescribed manner, and when Heaven's Gate opened, you could pass through in your current human body. The suicide thing didn't start up until a couple of decades later. So, does believing in spaceships and extraterrestrials make a person crazy? I have to argue, no. Not if someone else can believe in Jesus Christ coming back in the rapture and sending them to heaven or hell and be considered sane. Sorry, Christians. Just take a seat, grab a paper bag, and hear me out. There's actually more scientific basis to believe in aliens taking us away than to believe in a lot of the stuff written down in many religious texts. After all, we do know that other planets actually exist, and even Stephen Hawking, widely considered to be one of the world's greatest scientific minds, 
considered life elsewhere in the universe to be an inevitability, although he didn't believe that Earth has already been visited by aliens. About half the people on Earth believe extraterrestrial life exists, and that number may be even higher for Americans specifically. So we can't say holding out hope for contact with aliens is any crazier than any other religious belief. And besides, faith is all about belief in the face of having no proof or hard evidence, right? To quote Stuart Chase, For those who believe, no proof is necessary. For those who don't believe, no proof is possible. So, if their UFO obsession and cherry-picking details from Christianity weren't the problem, where did it go wrong? I can think of two things. One, coercive control. Charismatic leaders with followers doing their bidding right down to life's smallest details, like what to wear, what to eat, and how to wear their hair. I know, I know, many religions give their followers instructions on, well, what to wear, what to eat, and how to wear their hair, but I'm talking to an extreme degree. And the second problem is the obvious one, the suicide pact. Most mainstream religions have specific rules against suicide, The billions of people who believe in an afterlife or reincarnation don't normally kill themselves to get there faster. Generally speaking, they accept that their life on Earth has a purpose and they need to see it through. Some even believe that killing yourself will send you to hell. Sometimes the afterlife is considered a reward for having lived your life in a certain manner or whatever, But generally speaking, suicide is not a viable shortcut. There are a few notable extreme exceptions. I'm thinking like jihadist suicide attacks, for example, although the idea there is not killing oneself to end your own life, but making the perpetrator into a martyr by taking out as many infidels as possible. But still, it is suicide. I'd consider that a cult belief. And then there's a certain strain of evangelical and fundamentalist Christians who believe that solvable, man-made problems like climate change are signs of the end times, we can't do anything about it, and they're happy to watch the world implode because it means the rapture is almost here. That is straddling a very fine line between religion and cult. But We're here to talk about Heaven's Gate, and they went way past that line. The group considered themselves to be a classroom of learners, referring to themselves as classmates or students. And after they shed their individuality, they learned how to do everything in a maniacally detailed way from tea and dough. They had strange trainings and binders full of instructions for performing even the most simple daily tasks, like how to shave. Okay, so now we have a group of devoted followers who have essentially been broken down, ready for molding like lumps of clay, like children. I think I'm starting to see a problem here. Alright, I know you're all jumping up and down in your seats wanting to know who are these people who could believe something as outlandish as this. Well, not everyone who has ever been a member of Heaven's Gate died in the mass suicide. In one recent interview, a former member of the cult described his entree into the group. But I'll warn you, his explanation is incredibly unsatisfying and I have found that to be a common theme among former cult members who are later asked about what attracted them to the group. In this case, the man simply saw a flyer advertising an informational meeting about UFOs. Why they're here, when they're leaving, who will they take with them? The flyer also mentioned that the meeting would be led by two individuals who are from the level above human. Yes, Tiendo. 
I guess the UFO thing really appealed to the guy, so he decided to go to the meeting. So there's the first checkbox, interest in UFOs. At the meeting, he described seeing something like a haze or mist surrounding Doe, aka Marshall Applewhite, and filtering throughout the room. He compared it to something like seeing Jesus, and he was hooked. He remained in the cult for 18 years. I know, I said it wouldn't be a very satisfying answer. But here's something else he mentioned that might be a bit more relatable. He had also been drifting a bit in life, seeking his purpose, as we all do. That meeting flyer he initially encountered also said something about a group of people giving it their all. That's vague, and in and of itself, it doesn't mean anything. But maybe that's what makes it so effective. Anyone who's seeking anything in life can hear that and think, hey, I want to give something my all. Anyway, that's what this guy thought. A woman who died in the mass suicide had also sent her family a note a few years prior, saying that she had finally found something to give her purpose, something that would actually motivate her, something to give her all to. We can extrapolate this a little bit to what makes people join cults generally. There seems to be at least one common thread having to do with looking for something to give one's life meaning. What's less clear is why certain people are attracted to cults as opposed to some other more mainstream or at least less extreme church or group. Of course, they don't think they're joining a cult or an extreme group, but why don't they recognize it? That's the big question mark to me. For many cults, their recruitment efforts involve baby steps. Think Nexium, essentially hooking people in with a milk toast version of their beliefs. Perhaps it's just mainstream religion or the fact that they're a close-knit community with social support or a self-help organization. Then once they have a fish on the hook, it's a matter of slowly drawing them in along a darker and darker path. But in this case, most of their extreme beliefs, granted not yet including suicide, but still pretty wild, were right out there in the open. I think that's one of the reasons I found this particular cult so perplexing. Their marketing materials and flyers don't mince words. Perhaps this is one reason they remained a very small group of people with mostly fanatically devoted followers who stayed in it for the long haul. This strategy seems counterintuitive, but bear with me. Have you ever gotten spam emails that are just so pathetically obvious that you ask yourself, who would fall for this, and why can't they make this email at least a little bit more believable? I mean, they'd be able to scam more people if it wasn't so obvious, right? Well, no. The emails that are really bad are bad on purpose. Yes, I know I said this was counterintuitive, but here's the deal. It's a screening process to find the most gullible target. They don't want to hook somebody who's going to use savvy critical thinking on their way down the rabbit hole. They are specifically looking for people who will fall for something ridiculous. That's how they find the marks who are worth investing their time in. I think we might be able to apply the same sort of thinking here. The type of people who were attracted to Heaven's Gate's messages in the first place were the type of people who could be led down that particular rabbit hole using indoctrination. This isn't to say that people who fall for a scam or get hooked by a cult deserve it or that it's their fault, no. It's just that much sicker that there are people out there willing to take advantage. Initially, T and Doe said that the process of essentially becoming qualified or evolved enough 
to board a spaceship and escape from Earth would be complete in five years. Five years passed, it was about 1980 by now, and the spaceship didn't arrive. Nor did any explanation for what went wrong. Game over? Not at all. Some Heaven's Gate members did leave, but those who stayed rationalized it by choosing to view the fact that the starship hadn't arrived as a test, essentially weeding out those who were unqualified to move to the level above human. This is a very dangerous way of thinking, because it provides a simple way to rationalize every single instance in which an individual is presented with information that contradicts their beliefs. It's the beginning of a slippery slope on which a person ceases to be able to be reasoned with. Disturbingly, turning any contradictory information into a so-called test of faith is the same exact rationale that many mainstream religions use to smooth over bumps in the road. Hmm. Another thing that seems a bit different about Heaven's Gate when we compare it to other cults is that Marshall Applewhite actually embraced the label. On one video, he addresses it head-on and simply says, yes, it's the cult of cults. It's the cult of truth. Anyway, time went on, and the group was known to travel around the country, picking up new adherents as it went. In 1982, there was another snafu. Bonnie Nettles was diagnosed with cancer and soon died. The line had always been that Bonnie and Marshall, a.k.a. T and Doe, actually were not human, remember? They were just inhabiting human bodies. But they and their followers would supposedly ascend to the spaceship that was to take them away in their physical human bodies. So it didn't make much sense that T would contract a normal human disease, let alone die from it, before the spaceship came. Many people consider this a turning point for the group, with Applewhite needing to make a change in dogma, eventually leading to the suicide plan. I'm not sure if it was that straight a line from Nettle's death. After all, there could have been any number of ways to explain her death away between the UFO stuff and the Bible prophecy stuff. But in any event, Applewhite did take the reins after her death, and 12 years later, the mass suicide took place. In the early 1990s, Doe held a meeting with the group, saying they needed to take it upon themselves to leave their vehicles by taking barbiturates, alluding to suicide. One newer member said he wasn't down for that, and Doe told him to leave the next day. I have no idea whether or not that individual tried to warn law enforcement or anybody but that meeting was three years before the mass suicide. In March 1997, the hale comet was passing close to Earth. It also happened to coincide with Holy Week, and Mars was especially close to Earth. It was actually kind of an exciting event, and I'm just old enough to remember the media frenzy that surrounded it. But. The Heaven's Gate followers decided to take this confluence of events as a sign, and concluded that a spaceship was following closely behind the comet. That spaceship was their last chance lifeboat to get off the Earth before being recycled and make it to the level above human. The group members mixed up a death cocktail of barbiturates and alcohol. They laid down on bunk beds in their rented mansion and sealed plastic bags over their heads. Investigators later concluded from the evidence that they were all suicides. In other words, there was no evidence of anyone having been poisoned or suffocated against their will. But I hope we all agree that the phrase against their will takes on a very different meaning in this context than it normally would. These people really believed that they weren't dying, 
Rather, they would be graduating from the human evolutionary level to the next level. They were happy and excited to be leaving. As Doe put it, it is suicide to not leave. Everything about the suicide was pre-planned. The group made farewell videos, To-do lists found later included such practical items as canceling their pool service and utilities. The group spent their final days doing things they enjoyed together, like going to Disneyland. They had a final meal together at a Marie Callender's restaurant, where they reportedly all ate the same meal, turkey pot pie, blueberry cheesecake, and iced tea. Another indication of the lengths they went to to promote uniformity and shed their individuality. Remember those binders full of detailed instructions that I mentioned earlier? Well, their suicides were no exception. The exact methodology to use was written out in detail in one of the binders. The suicides were carried out in three groups. This is one of the most disturbing details about this entire story, and that's saying something. When the bodies were found, the only people with plastic bags still over their heads were in the third group, and autopsies later revealed that many of the deceased did not have a lethal level of poison in their systems, leaving us to conclude that asphyxiation with the plastic bags played a large role in the deaths that day, and that people from later groups would have had to wait until the people in the earlier groups were deceased, and then remove the plastic bags from over their heads and pull the purple cloths they used like death shrouds up over their bodies. In other words, they waited around to make sure their friends were dead. Imagine being in the third group, having seen the first two groups kill themselves, and then just doing the same thing yourself. That speaks to how powerful their convictions were that they really were moving on to the next plane of existence, and that they were doing the right thing. And we have no way of knowing if any of the individuals in the earlier groups might have struggled or tried to change their mind before they asphyxiated. Needless to say, the farewell videos made by the group are very disturbing, mainly expressing joy and excitement for the trip they believed they were about to take. It's hard to say why such a small group of people out of the billions of humans on Earth thought that they were the only ones who earned the right to leave on the spaceship. But it's just another one of the things I haven't found a satisfying answer for. And I guess if you look at all the religious groups and cults across the world who think they're the chosen ones, well, there really is no satisfying explanation. Chalk it up to human nature, I guess. One of the more striking moments from the farewell videos is a classmate saying, 39 to beam up and pantomiming tapping a Star Trek communicator on her chest. For the non-nerds, that's how you get back to the starship from an away mission on the TV show. In most of the videos, their happiness appears very childlike. It's heart-wrenching to see their innocent, excited faces talking about how lucky they are. Speaking of children... I guess we can at least be thankful that the group wasn't into kids, so no children died with them. Some former members of the group didn't die in the mass suicide that day. After all, Heaven's Gate operated for over 20 years. Not everyone who joined at some point in time stayed until the end. So here's a real mind-boggler. Remember that guy I was talking about earlier, describing in an interview how he got into the group with the UFO poster and the Jesus mist? He goes by the single name Sawyer, his Heaven's Gate name, and obviously he didn't participate in the suicide, but when asked over the years and as recently as a couple years ago, he doesn't think he dodged a bullet. 
he still believes it all. Yes, he still believes that T and Doe were in fact the same individuals known to Christians as the Father and Jesus. He thinks that if he had laid down and died, he might have also ascended with the rest of his classmates to the spaceship. In fact, he wrote a book about it. It's called T and Doe, Father and Jesus, Heaven's Gate, UFO, Two Witnesses. I'm going to read you the book's blurb. This book provides detailed evidence from everything Jesus prophesied, often broken down to the root definitions of terms from the Greek and Aramaic slash Hebrew languages which manuscripts were written in, to show in context by numerous Bible records how and why those called T and Doe were the new incarnations of the one referred to as the Father and before then Jehovah and Elohim, with the one who was incarnate in the vehicle body named Jesus, and before then Elijah, Moses, Enoch, and Adam, who with their crew of student saints were on earth again to fulfill the promised return of their kingdom during these end times through their task recorded as the two witnesses in the book of Revelations that was completed when they exited their incarnations in March of 1997, seen in the world's news as Heaven's Gate. T and Doe left extensive records of everything they came to awaken to know over their combined 25 years incarnate. As I spent 19 fully dedicated years with them, I drew upon their records and my experience to describe many new translations of terms and new interpretations of most all Book of Revelations records. Finally, I studied world history and current events that can be shown to be valid reference points in many prophecies. This includes many unusual events NASA has photographed in outer space as Jesus prophesied, a cityscape of lights on dwarf planet Ceres, Earth-like qualities to dwarf planet Pluto, hexagon-shaped top on Saturn, spire-like towers on the moon, complicated objects that resemble Star Trek's Starship Enterprise in the sun's corona, comets that are comprised of several to seven objects flying in V formation or having companion objects with them and parts of UFO and Luciferian space alien reports, holograms like Fatima and spirits. T and Doe, the Father and Jesus, Heaven's Gate UFO, two witnesses, who return incarnate with their saints. From 1972 to 1977, prophesied in the Book of Revelations, termed by Christians as the second coming from the physical evolutionary level above human, the kingdom of God in heaven, whose membership, where physical vehicles, bodies, grown on a vine that human bodies are designed to resemble, to work within planet-sized spacecrafts like Pluto and Ceres that serve as laboratories for their Earth soul-growing garden experiments that incorporate the negative influence of the Luciferian space aliens, aka the fallen angels. So, prospective new members, directed by incarnate older members, may overcome the human evolutionary kingdom to graduate into the next level kingdom in the literal heavens. Whoo! Are you still with me? Yikes. And I'll just say I was reading it as best as possible, but it lacks a lot of what you might consider um, conventional punctuation. It reads very much like T and Doe's speaking and writing, which tells me that Sawyer very much absorbed not just the content, but also the style and manner of the leader's communication, which is very odd. It's like this fire hose of repetitive phrasing with run-on sentences and either too little or excessive punctuation. Some of it is basically word salad, 
some of it reads like a Donald Trump tweet. I'm going to give you a few more examples in a minute. To me, Sawyer's book doesn't bode well for deprogramming, and it speaks volumes about how indoctrinated Heaven's Gate's followers were. He's not the only former member who feels the way he does. Given the level of brainwashing, I think it's a toss-up as to whether it was 39 suicides or one suicide and 38 murders. I know many people see it as the latter. It's hard to say whether Bonnie Nettles and Marshall Applewhite believed in their own religion, or if it was more of an L. Ron Hubbard scenario, where they came up with a story and then thought, hey, I can sell this as a religion. It seems like they believed it. I mean, Applewhite was castrated and killed himself, after all. Actions of a fervent true believer. It must have been a folie a deux, a madness of two. Or else Nettles really was the mastermind, and she managed to brainwash Applewhite into believing it all. I wonder if the outcome would have been any different if Nettles hadn't died from cancer in the 80s, leaving Applewhite to carry on alone and write the end of the story. Okay. It's time for a website review. Yes, Heaven's Gate has a website. In fact, their website was one of their main methods of recruitment back in the 90s. And uh, I have heard that they also made some of their money by designing websites for other people. One of the weirdest things about the site is the fact that it's up at all. It's at heavensgate.com, and if you take a look at it, it's just like a time capsule of what it looked like in 1997. I'm talking classic 90s GeoCities, neon rainbow text, flashing text. Uh, It's wild. It's worth taking a look at, Um, but... I was kind of shocked that it's just been sitting there for over 20 years. Obviously, somebody has been paying the hosting fees on it and keeping it active. It doesn't appear that it gets updated much. It's more like a time capsule, as I said. And it has transcripts of some of their videos, as well as pages sort of just dedicated to explaining their beliefs. I tried a little bit to figure out what the deal is and who is running this site. I didn't exactly get to the bottom of this, and this isn't really an investigative podcast, but other people have looked into this and tried to figure it out. And so it appears that there are two people, possibly a married couple, who are keeping this going, and they may even have been intentionally left behind in order to keep getting the message out. Um, that That's kind of unverified. I found it in an article on Pedestrian, and I'll link to that in the show notes if you want to look at it. It talks a little bit more about some email contact that people have had, Yes, there's a working email address listed on the site. Um, People, someone responds to it. They'll also send you those VHS tapes that I mentioned earlier of all of Heaven's Gate's pre-1997 videos. It's not new stuff they're creating, but they're still trying to get this message out there. So they're still believers, um, I guess, kind of like Sawyer, who we were talking about. Um, The mass suicides didn't convince them that this was all wrong, Uh, not at all. So that's, it's weird. I I don't have a great explanation. Um, Something else that clued me in that something weird is going on is an interview that I was listening to. um, And it was Glenn Washington who created a podcast called Heaven's Gate, which is a deep dive. It's 10 episodes just into the Heaven's Gate cult. And he was being interviewed at NPR by Ari Shapiro. It's a short eight-minute interview. Um, I'll link to that in the show notes as well. It's a really good interview. 
And right at the end, Ari Shapiro asks Glenn Washington about the website, basically the same things that we're all wondering. Why is it still there? Who's running it? Why? And Glenn Washington gives this really strange answer. He's very well-spoken and eloquent. And then when asked this question, he gives this sort of strange, convoluted, stammering response, kind of like I'm doing right now. And at one point, he sort of says, well, what I have figured out around this, I'm not really comfortable saying. (laughs) So it just raised so many questions to me. And it kind of sounds from his telling that there's sort of these different factions of people. I don't know if it's different former members of Heaven's Gate, But there's some sort of jostling or vying for sort of the ownership and future of all of Heaven's Gate's um, documents and teachings. Um, I know that doesn't make a lot of sense. It's just weird. But anyway, the point is there's something going on with this website. Are there enough people wanting to keep this message going that we can say Heaven's Gate still exists? I don't know. I don't know. But there definitely are at least a handful of people out there who are still into this Heaven's Gate philosophy. This is a little bit of a side note, but Glenn Washington's podcast, Heaven's Gate, that I just mentioned, it's really good. If you want to do a deeper dive into this, um, highly recommend it because he comes at it with a really great perspective. Um, He actually was raised in another sort of apocalyptic culty group. And so he sort of sees all of this from that perspective of, could it have been me? And that's really interesting. And so the whole podcast is very empathetic and it features a lot of interviews and it tells you a lot about the individual people who were fully fleshed out individuals who had families who loved them and wanted to help them and find them and get them out of the cult. Um, So anyway, it's really good. It's 10 parts. And again, it's just called Heaven's Gate. I think that podcast is about three years old or so, and since then it's also been made into a mini-series or docu-series on the streaming platform HBO Max. I have not watched that. If you have a subscription to HBO Max, maybe you just got it to watch the new Wonder Woman movie, um, that might be something interesting to check out. I caught another glimpse of this idea of different groups or individuals vying for control over the legacy of Heaven's Gate, of all places, in the reviews of Sawyer's book on Amazon. The book does have basically four and a half stars, (laughs) and it has some positive reviews that are, of course, pretty interesting. Um seemingly from other former Heaven's Gate members, but it's the one-star review that caught my attention and that gives us a little bit of insight into this sort of infighting between groups over what Heaven's Gate was and what it really meant and who gets to say how it lives on. This is a review from October of 2017, One Star. It's titled, Sawyer Represents Himself, Not Heaven's Gate. Every single concept that the author tries to explain here is explained much better and clearer in the book and the other materials, some suppressed, that the group known as Heaven's Gate left behind. The author paraphrases some of the materials that the group left behind, including our position against suicide and the 88 update. When the group left in 1997, they made it very clear that they wanted their information to be disseminated. They never said anything about how dropouts of the class, Heaven's Gate, like Sawyer, should write their own book that paraphrases their materials. To me, it seems like Sawyer is marketing his book as if it is Heaven's Gate 2.0. He uses the same color and fonts on the outside covers as the HG book did. The only proof that Sawyer can offer of his self-appointed mission for tea and dough are some dreams that he has had, 
in which he claims he has had contacts with Doe and some of the students. At one point in 2015 on his blog, he referred to these contacts as an open phone line. And when I called him out for that statement, he initially accused me of making up lies about him. Shortly thereafter, probably because he realized he may have actually made the statement, he said that I had taken it out of context. He even told me that I somehow owe T and Doe for these lies I was making up. Sawyer has repeatedly stated that he does not care that hundreds of audio tapes produced by the group between 1985 and 1997 are being suppressed by other former members of the group. Many of these were made after Sawyer left the group, and yet he has no interest in them, even though they can provide infinitely more insight into the group than anything he will ever write or make a video about. This book of his does not represent the HG group or T and Doe. This book represents Sawyer and Sawyer alone. His information is diluted and distorted and cannot hold a candle to the information left behind by the class. Holy smokes. Imagine thinking that, then imagine writing that, then imagine posting it on Amazon.com. Clearly, there are still some pretty passionate believers out there. So, back to the Heaven's Gate website. As I described earlier, the style of communication is kind of a fire hose. There's these massive blocks of text, but I'll just read you a short passage. I believe this is actually an excerpt from the Heaven's Gate book. Yes, there was a Heaven's Gate book, and I sort of tried to find something that was a short summary of their beliefs. And this is sort of what they consider the in a nutshell explanation. But it's buried way down at the bottom of this huge page of hot pink block text on a background of glowing stars. <laughs> um, but yeah, here's here's just a short paragraph. I'm not going to torture you with a ton of this stuff. But here you go. The hard facts or bold statements in a nutshell that are so difficult to accept or digest come down to, if you want or ever expect to go to heaven, here is your window. That window opportunity requires, one, an incarnate as human representative of the kingdom of heaven. Two, that all who hope to enter heaven become active students of that representative while the representative is present. Three, those who endure the transition classroom until it ends, adequately bonding or grafting to that representative, will go with that representative, literally leave the human kingdom and earth as he is about to do. Staying behind for any significant period could jeopardize that graft. That window to heaven will not open again until another civilization is planted and has reached sufficient maturity according to the judgment of the next level. We can't blame you for quote-unquote buying into the quote Luciferian program. What else has been available during those periods when no representative was present? almost nothing, save some warnings in the scriptures, i.e. Luke 20, 34 to 36, Luke 21, 23, Mark 12, 25, and Mark 13, 17 to 19. Check these out. <laughs> okay, um, it, it just goes on and on and on in this manner. Now, in all fairness, if you were to pick up any religious text for the first time without knowing anything about it and just started reading it, it would probably also sound like some crazy mumbo-jumbo. Let's just take, I don't know, the Bible, for example. If you'd never heard of it and you just picked it up and started reading, I think you'd probably be like, what the hell is this? He that is wounded in the stones, or hath his privy member cut off, shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord? 
Huh? Wow. What? Christians, I'm sorry, I've been picking on you in this episode, but the point is that a big part of religious texts not sounding like some crazy-ass shit is simply just a matter of familiarity. That said, none of that changes the fact that this is undoubtedly one wild website. Here's another one. This is an excerpt from one of their videos, and they're kind of talking about um, being willing to leave all of their human, earthly things behind, including their own bodies. This is not to say that we know there is a guarantee that we will all go on board a craft together in order to leave before this spading under occurs. Spading under is sometimes how they talk about the recycling or refurbishing of Earth. We will definitely go on board a craft to leave before the spading under occurs. You could say, well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is that we don't yet know if we were going to take these flesh bodies on board that craft or if we will leave these flesh bodies behind before we board. We don't believe that our Father's kingdom has much need for these flesh bodies, but it's possible that a spacecraft will come down and will walk on board that craft and they'll take these bodies from us and issue us the ones that belong to that level so that we might begin our service. It is also possible that part of our test of faith is our hating this world, even our flesh body, to the extent to be willing to leave it without any proof of the next level's existence, other than what we have come to know, that we have nothing to fear, that we are in good keeping, that we can leave the body that we're in and be that soul, that identity, which totally survives that separation, whether it is by martyrdom, because someone went crazy over our righteous blasphemy, or whatever event that might separate us from that human body that we are wearing. Our faith is primarily based upon our trust in our older members. We do know one thing, we don't care to cling to the life of this body until it naturally gives up. We don't care to be aborted by the body that we're wearing. We care more to abort it in proof to our Heavenly Father that we trust Him and are ready to leave this place. We're ready to go into His kingdom. And they, these students, have to say to my Father, We trust your Son. We trust the one you sent for our sakes. Even so much that we have no hesitation to leave this place, to leave the body that we are wearing, we know that whatever happens to us after we leave this body is a step forward from what we were and that we don't care to be here any longer. All right, some of that was weird and some of that sounded a lot like the same ideas that more mainstream religions use, such as that stuff about faith. And the reason I'm bringing that up it's just to say that the line between more extreme or fundamentalist-style devotees to their religion and cults can actually be a very blurry one, and it's not as easy as it sounds to separate the two groups. There are the religious devout who take it really, really far, and those who take it too far. But you don't know who's going to take it too far until it's already happened. If 39 people hadn't killed themselves that day, the outside world would likely just see the group as some wacky people with weird UFO beliefs. As I mentioned briefly in the Gloria Vale episode from two weeks ago, law enforcement typically doesn't have a great way to identify people who have been brainwashed or victimized in some way versus people who are just extremely maniacally devoted to their faith or ideology of choice. In other words, it's not as obvious as we think. So who were the Heaven's Gate members? Truth seekers, people with open minds and hearts looking for possibilities something more, and a place to fit. As with many cults, once members joined, the group became like a family. 
as their biological families and the outside world were renounced. After a period of time, it's as though the community and family found inside the group are far more important than the ideology itself. Perhaps one reason why many people are willing to overlook their doubts for the sake of remaining part of the group. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts to help other people find it. Tell your friends about it, and if you want to support the pod directly and help keep new episodes coming, you can donate to the show through the link in the show notes. Connect and stay in the loop on the website, failedutopia.com, or the Facebook page at Failed Utopia Pod. Failed Utopia episodes are written and produced by me, Anna Roberts. The burning palm tree painting featured on the cover is by artist Perry Vasquez. My intro music is by Elliot Middleton. See you next time.